Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Another Fine Mess, the weekly securitization podcast brought to you by Global Capital. I am Victoria Thiele, our European CLO reporter, and our regular podcast host, Tom Lemon, is still off playing golf somewhere again this week. Um, but our ABS reporter, George Smith, is dialing in from Edinburgh. So the two of us will be discussing this week's European securitization news for you. And um, we're both sitting on bedroom floors <laughs> right now because that's where the best acoustics are in our respective um, dwellings. And I'm slowly getting high on the fumes of a mattress that is airing behind me because I got a new one. So if that reflects on, on, on the quality of my contributions at any point over the course of this episode, I do apologize. Um, yeah, George, so under, under these circumstances, how sad on a scale from one to 10 are you to be missing out on the new office that we moved into in London this week? <laughs> Well, hello, Victoria. Yeah, well, I mean, you may be better tell me how sad I, I should be, but <laughs> at the moment I'm ranking it somewhere near the top of the uh, of the uh, scale. Yeah, um, maybe I should stop talking then. No. Um, well, well, you're in luck because I did I did um, ask around a little bit and ask some of our colleagues to to give their reviews um, and. Then the first one I got, I, I wasn't sure if I should include it because uh, that person sent a, a gif, or a gif, how do you pronounce that, um, of a row of caged hens. <laughs> because it is a little smaller, <laughs> but I think um, I think that, that person was just there on a very crowded day. I thought it was fine. Um, another one um, said that the walls were painted in, in a very interesting shade of pea soup green, um, reminded him of his childhood bedroom, which I thought was quite sweet and probably very good for productivity. Um, and my favorite thing personally was that when I went to the fifth floor, um, there are a couple of really nice meeting rooms. Um, and then also outside there's sort of a balcony um, that's going around the whole building with, a, with a, quite a nice view on the city of London. And then because there's still a bit of construction, I ran into a maintenance guy um, and I asked him if I like how to get onto that thing. And he was like, well, you can't. Um, you have to talk to facilities because because, you know, somebody might fall off. Um, so I kind of hope that they're installing some sort of railing around that because um, that would be really nice. Um, and of course, the best thing is that we do have an espresso machine. Do you drink coffee? Not really, but uh, yeah, it's okay, still it's very exciting. You, but uh... like we can we can be excited for our colleagues who drink <laughs> coffee um, that they have an espresso machine and like a fully stocked capsule dispenser, um, which is just really nice to look at. Um, I did yeah, hear that sure. one colleague was planning to bring their own uh, capsules. Oh yeah, because I think the ones that we have are not biodegradable. Um, oh, I see. So far, um, yeah. So you know, still still a bit of ESG points then, yeah. Yeah, exactly. we should we should probably mention we're we're only one door down for anyone who's concerned. But... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if if you if you were keen to visit us anytime soon, you don't have to trek much further. We literally moved next door. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll be settling in over the next few weeks. Maybe maybe we will be able to show some of you our nice um, balcony once it's once it's secure. <laughs> But yeah, so in that really exciting environment, um, we were covering securitization news, George. Well, I was, you weren't, you were in Edinburgh. But um, <laughs> you, wrote, you wrote quite a cool story about regulation, um, which is two words that go really well together. Um, cool and regulation. And uh, yeah, it actually made it on the cover of this week's weekly edition um, of Global Capital. So tell me, tell me what you were writing about. Yeah, so this is about the 
UK's kind of post-Brexit regulation. I think, you know, there's a lot happening in regulation at the moment, and it's uh, an area which, you know, there's going to be a lot more to come from us as well. But this story is about how the UK is kind of moving on from the EU regulation, which it retained in 2019. Um, And we've got a draft statutory instrument, which is a piece of secondary legislation, um, as, I, as I've as i now been, been told by a few lawyers. And uh, we've also got uh, two consultations from the FCA starting on Monday and from the PRA, which started earlier in July. Okay, so what do we know so far about the changes that they want to make? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there's there's a few sort of little bits that have changed. Um, and one one lawyer described it to me as evolution, not revolution, um, which I think is is quite fair. There's a, there's a couple of updates. There's one update to how NPL securitization risk retention works that's been brought into line of what the EU were doing, um, and then there's a few other other pieces. I think one thing people are quite excited about there is uh, this the disclosure requirements. So what you have to get as a UK investor from your issuer has changed to be potentially slightly more flexible and allow you to just obtain the information without it coming in the precise subs- sort of set out template form. But we really don't know exactly what shape this is going to take because so much of the decision making has still been deferred to the FCA and PRA, the Financial Conduct Authority and Prudential Regulation Authority. Um, and their consultations are obviously about to start or have started. So that's going to be very closely watched as we kind of look to see what shape this regulation does eventually take. Okay, so um, if you say the FCA and the PRA are kind of getting more power under the new rules, um, what's what's sort of driving their decision making, do you think? Yeah, this I think is uh, a crucial question. Um, and I've heard a few different things. I mean, some people think that the kind of tone of the Edinburgh reforms is what will drive them towards... Uh, like a, a more, I guess, deregulated environment for, or a more permissive environment for securitization. Um, I think, and I, I wrote about this as well in uh, in this week's... Yeah, you wrote an opinion piece, didn't you? Um, I think without more clear political leadership, the FCA and the PRE are going to be driven by risk aversion because if... They're, they're ultimately going to be the ones who will get the blame if any risks they take don't right. pay off unless politicians can provide them with political cover to take those risks. Um, I mean, I've heard a few other things as well. The uh, One lawyer made the point that if they try to diverge too much from the EU and other kind of securitizing jurisdictions, then ultimately that's just going to be disruptive. So in a way, they'll have to, they'll at least have to take into account what other regulators are doing and kind of how their regulation 
interplays with that regulation, so that may ultimately limit how much um, they can do. I think the big one of the big ideas with giving this power to the FCA and the PRA is it will make the rulemaking more responsive. So there's that doesn't require a statutory instrument every time. And one lawyer I spoke to said that that brings it much more into line with other markets. You wouldn't expect the kind of degree of like government control in other capital markets as has been the case in securitization. So I think it has been this move to give these agencies more influence has been welcomed by the market. But I've just cautioned that unless they're given the space to make the rules that the market wants to see, it won't necessarily happen in the way that people are maybe hoping. Right. Um, and I mean, what what do people hope that, that they will do now? Um, because, of course, this is still a lot of speculation because not much has happened. But, um, yeah, what are they sort of looking forward to um, to FCNPRA doing with their with their? Plans? Yeah, I mean, a few different people had a few different wishes. But the one thing that came up with pretty much everyone we spoke to, I think, was that they'd like to see more distinction from, for private securitizations, kind of bilateral deals, particularly where they're kind of ultimately ramping up towards a public deal. If the investors mm -hmm. need to still obtain the same disclosure disclosures as they would get for a public deal uh, in a kind of bilateral deal where that information just isn't really relevant or useful to them, it's just kind of regulatory box checking. I think that's what people really want to see changed. And that came up with we spoke to quite a few people from this piece and pretty much all of them said something's got to be done about the disclosures for private securitization so that's one area that i'm fairly sure will be watched very closely yeah i mean also by us because <laughs> um we're, we're we're planning to follow this quite closely and uh write write a bit more about regulation um because yeah there, you said there there's quite a lot going on and and it's it's quite an interesting development there so yeah definitely keep an eye on global capital over the coming weeks and months um because we will write about that a little more i think yeah indeed we will now uh moving on from regulation potentially yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> to the cold hard world <laughs> um there's nothing has happened for me really in in abs this this week but has has anything happened in clos um, yeah, not very much. Um, do you remember how I was being really smug last week about how much busier my market was than yours? Um, well, it's going to come back to bite me this week um, because none of the CLOs that are in the market have been priced so far this week unless something is coming in while we're recording this on Friday morning. Um, little caveat there. But um, there was one interesting bit of news. Um, Apollo, the asset manager, they have notified investors that they plan to reset a CLO that they issued last September. What does uh, a reset mean? Uh, is that equivalent to a, a refinancing? Um, it's it's a type of refinancing. So when a CLO is issued, there is usually a non-call period um, of one or two years. And at the end of that period, the equity owners um, are allowed to call the CLO um, that's sort of an option they get because they're at the bottom of the food chain when it comes to payouts from the loans. Um, so everybody else gets paid first, so they have the highest risk. But 
in exchange for that, they're allowed to um, initiate a refinancing where, yeah, some or all of the debt is refinanced and um, that can help them improve their returns. And a reset is a pretty thorough way of doing that where they do refinance all the debt and they also extend the lifetime of a CLO. Um, and that's that makes sense for them if cost of debt has gone down. So in Apollo's case, the AAAs were priced at 200 base points when they issued last September, where sort of cost of debt was really at its peak. It was really expensive then. Um, and the non-call period was a year, so it runs out in September. And some other recent deals that we've seen in the past two weeks, like Bain um, and InvestCorp, they have been priced around 175 to 100 base points. So um, yeah, the equity guys on Apollo's um, CLO might be able to get a better deal if they do that. Yeah, so. well, that seems to make sense for them. Uh, that non-call period seemed to be quite short compared to the average. Do you think that was a kind of strategic move from Apollo at the time? I think it might be. Um, I mean, I would guess that you that it's sort of a, a trade-off between you want to keep it short because like to appease your equity investors. Um, and um, if arbitrage is kind of difficult because cost of debt is high, then a CLO manager might sort of take their own equity um, and sort of hope that they can refinance that later. Um, so that's definitely one side, but then also you might want to appease your debt investors by a slightly longer one. So I think it's sort of a, a balancing act. There were a couple of other, um, a couple of other CLOs that were priced at the same time as Apollo, and some of them have um, non-call periods of up to two years. So I think there's different considerations going into that. But yeah, um, I do think that that hope was part of choosing. But yeah, one. well, your your headline suggested there might be a, a wave of these kind of things. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as I, as I said, um, there's a couple of other, so around 30 CLOs priced in the second half of last year, sort of after the ECB raised interest rates um, and before the end of the year. And I looked at all of their non-call periods, uh, made a little spreadsheet um, of when they run out. And apart from Apollo, there are 12 others who are um, who are reaching the end of the non-call period this year, and they all they pretty much all had um, AAA trenches. They were priced at more than 200 base points, um, some even significantly higher. And um, definitely people did say that they expect a sort of a little wave of refinancing or resets, sorry, um, before before we sort of see new primary issuance pick up significantly again. Yeah, I recommend the table that comes in your story. <laughs> Such a nice table. Yes. Flick through it as well. It's, it you know. Yeah, I know it has two pages. <laughs> data wrapper. I mm. love it. Um, and there, there. What I should probably also say, um, before sort of spreads tightened recently, um, people were already early in this year saying they expected a couple of refinancings or resets because there are also some older um, CLOs that are, are sort of running into maturity was pretty soon and those equity investors might just want to um, delay winding down the CLOs while the macroeconomic environment is still uncertain. So they're not necessarily hunting for tighter spreads, but just want to sort of buy themselves a bit more time. Um, so there might be some activity from that coming too, which then would also feed into sort of more resets, refinancings as opposed to um, new issuance. 
But yeah, so that was it from the CLO side for this week. Um, not very much else has happened, but George, you actually did um, look at something that I thought quite interesting. I saw your article about that yesterday. Um, you were looking at credit card securitization. And when we were chatting earlier before I started the recording, you said that you had a bit of a flashback to a story that I did um, a couple of weeks ago. So can you just sort of tell me more about that? Yeah, this kind of reminded me of your um, middle market CLO story, I think. Oh, right. We may have discussed that on the first ever. Yeah, uh, yeah the first ever. Um, uh, and that's because this was a a credit card deal for but business credit cards. So mm-hmm. I think that left the ratings agencies in a, a relatively sort of tricky spot because obviously they've got their credit card methodology. And then they've also got the SME ABS methodology. And it's a question of which to use because it, the credit card one is clearly quite geared towards consumers. But then it does also have the kind of revolving nature of credit cards built in. Um, and so I think when rating this deal, which was from Capital on Tap, um, in the first ever in this asset class, it came in June, but. Um, I was writing about it earlier in the week. Um, they kind of had to blend the, the, the two a bit. Uh, and what's interesting is that they came to different conclusions. So DBRS gave the, the deal a AAA, while Moody's rated it AA3. So uh, I think that was a, a case of Moody's capping the deal. Oh, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, yeah, because I I did write about that um, in terms of middle market CLOs, which often contain a lot of really small loans, and there is um, an an issue being discussed about how which which methodology to apply. Because if you rate it sort of with the normal CLO methods, um, then everything might get really low ratings. Um, but yeah, uh, quite quite interesting to see how that was solved in a different market. Yeah, um, I think there's a there's a, there is a, a common thread there, which is as these things or if these things can build more of a track record, then yeah. ratings agencies will come to be able to accommodate them more easily, or even kind of build a separate methodology for rating them. Yeah, and it does feel like we're at a point in the market where people are looking at sort of innovating, doing new deals. The private market is becoming more more important. So that sounds like rating agencies have a pretty exciting time ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, in that way, it's kind of moved on a bit, I think, from the start of the year when it felt like just getting deals done. It wasn't the time to be kind of innovating. I guess it's a question of whether you, you think innovation in, in tricky times is important or whether the best time to sort of try something that's a bit more uh, kind of out there is is when the market's doing well. Oh. That's a really lovely prompt. If anybody's listening to this and wants to answer that question, do get in touch with us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and absolutely tell us what you think about that. And yeah, um, that was it from us for this week. Um, markets are probably going to be quite quiet next week. There's a couple of CLOs still in the market um, that might be pricing, but be sure that if anything is happening, we are going to talk about it next Friday. And hopefully we're going to have a full set again if Tom returns from holidays and there's like a short time window between that and George's baby being born. Um, (laughs) 
But thank you, everyone, for listening. If you would like to make a guest appearance on this podcast and talk about anything secretization related, or if you have any thoughts on anything that we talked about, if you have a story that you think should be covered and isn't getting enough attention, do reach out. Our inboxes are always open. Um, we will put links to all the stories that we did talk about into the description for this podcast. And we hope to see you again next week. Thank you very much. Thank you.